What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And before we kick off today's episode, we'd like to thank the sponsor of today's show, and that is Plotter. P-L-O-T-T-R, Mark. I'm going to tell you all about Plotter, a very, very exciting bit of software. You know, I do love a bit of software. In fact, this whole podcast oh, started off he with us listen. banging on about Scrivener and Pro Writing Aid. <laughs> well, Plotter's really fascinating because being a really visual storyteller and a, and a planner, Plotter enables people to to basically kind of lay out all of their story and all their characters. I mean, there's a million one ways different to use it, but what I love about it is you can you can see your story visually and you can see the timelines. I know you've had a little bit of a peak, Mark, as well, haven't you? I've been playing. There's a really fun handy demo mode where you can just download a demo of stories that we already know. So there's things like this Hamlet. I think there's Jane Austen. I picked the three little pigs. <laughs> so you download it and it's got the, the different plot. There's a different plot line for each pig and there's one for the big bad wolf and there's the main plot. And I'm moving around and fiddling around with it. And it's it's really, really easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And it is the kind of thing, I mean, you're talking about people who plan ahead and plot ahead. Uh, this is also, you know, pantsers can use it as well. And this is the sort of thing I, I would find really, really useful at the edit stage. When you've got all those different threads intertwining and your brain can't cope with it, uh, here you can put it on screen and it's all there in front of you. And what's great as well is it's um, my, myself and John Wright have been looking for something like this for years because, you know, we write screenplays together and w- there there are sort of, there are bits of software that have sort of cork boards, but they're all kind of a bit awkward. This is a doddle. So uh, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I've, like I said, I've been tinkering with it and it, it looks like really good fun. Brilliant. So over the next few weeks, Mark and I are going to delve deep and uh, tell you more about it. But if you're interested in trying it, you can pop along to their website. It actually integrates with Scrivener as well. So everyone who's using Scrivener out there, it already is built in, which is fantastic. But if you're interested in having a look at it, please check it out. Absolutely brilliant. Um, And you can do that by going to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash plotter. That's P-L-O-T-T-R, bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash plotter. And And we'll put it... We'll put a link in the show notes so you can check that out. And it's it's ridiculously cheap, isn't it? I know. Absolutely. <laughs> Hop over there before they up their prices. <laughs> exactly. It's really cheap. Uh, so, yeah. Stuff. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So, Mark, tell me, uh, there's some big news in the movie world for you this week, isn't there? Yeah, finally got a release date for Unwelcome, the film, what I wrote. Uh, And uh, so in the UK, it's coming on the 27th of January, so coming at the end of Jan. Uh, In the USA, it's March 17th, which is St. Patrick's Day. And of course, the film's set in Ireland, so they're going. And weirdly, St. Patrick's Day is probably bigger in the States than anywhere else in the world. (laughs) There's more Irish in the States than there are in Ireland. Uh, So yeah, they're going, going big with that over there. So yeah, rest of the world... 
Not so sure yet. Watch this space. No one tells me I'm just the writer. I actually found out about this because it was featured in a film magazine. (laughs) (laughs) Always the last to know. Exactly. Film screen magazine. Yeah, I opened it up and there's the date. I thought, oh, is that official? Because I kind of knew, sort of knew it was coming. I looked on the website and I looked at IMDb and they all tallied up and I emailed the producer saying, is this official? They're like, yeah. I go, thank you. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, 27th of Jan in the UK and March 17th. So, you're finally going to get to see it. That's super exciting, Mark. You know, we can't yeah. we can't let today's episode go by without me making a reference to footy or soccer, mm. as I like to call it over here. I was thinking I'm going to try and do a, a, a World Cup experiment, Mark, to see if I can actually <laughs> see, every, in my dreams, watch every single game because I'm a massive football fan. But in re- reality, like, watch every single goal. But I'll tell you something that happened that's very funny. I was traveling last week. Horrendous jet lag. Horrendous mm-hmm. jet lag. Um, but in the U- in Canada, the England game against Iran kicked off at 5 a.m. in the morning. Right. And there I was, like, lying awake at 3 a.m. of the morning thinking, well, I might as well get up and watch the footy. So the one time in my life jet lag has worked in my favour. So <laughs> absolutely brilliant. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy. There's games on here at 2 a.m. in the morning and, uh, and the like. But I, I fear very little writing is going to get done this month. It's just not much comp- competition happening. Well, I can I can give two hoots about football, so I'll, I'm getting more done than ever. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, Mark. You say that, but you know, if England make it to like the quarterfinals, you'll just get swept along. Well, yeah. I mean, the uh, the, the women are in for a good chance, aren't they? When does the women's World Cup start? Is that like immediately after? No, no. I, can't. Oh. I think it's every two every two years. But oh. Canada. Just a big shout Shows out to our Canadian listeners. This is the first time Canada have been in the World Cup in many many years. Um, so I'm hoping it might catch on a bit more over here as well. And uh, people will be down the pubs at 5 a.m. in the morning watching them play as well. But uh, <laughs> brilliant stuff. Um, and all, But also there's been a, some really sad news about one of our one of our guests that we had on the show as well. Yeah, uh, this is this is the first episode we've recorded since I learned that um, Marcus Sedgwick passed away, aged 54. Mm. 50 bloody four. Um, Marcus uh, was... I mean, an amazing writer. Um, he was on episode 145, which I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can check that out. But Marcus, he wrote over 40 books for children and adults, shortlisted for more than 30 awards. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, five times for the Carnegie Medal, two for the Edgar Allan Poe, four times for the Guardian Children's Fiction Prize. He actually won his debut, Floodland. He won an award for that, won the, the, the Branford Bowes uh, Award for that. He's also won the Book Trust Teenage Prize for a brilliant book called My Sword Hand is Singing. Um, but he worked in publishing. He had been a bookseller in Heffers in Cambridge. Do you know Heffers, the I bookshop there? Yeah, yeah he I used to be there all the time. Yeah, yeah start, starting in Heffers. Yeah, it's a lovely bookstore. Oh. And um, he was a sales rep for a, a children's publisher called Ragged Bear and he was just a thoughtful, kind, generous soul and a great teacher. Now he ran retreats including the one that I was lucky enough to attend in France on the sort of the France-Swiss border in 2018. Which, I remember that uh, Mark because you, you did a kind of a like a podcast blog, audio blog didn't you for that? Yep, yeah and, and it also meant that Marcus is the only author we've interviewed in a hot tub, and uh, in in honour of Marcus, that's going to. I'm never author, never interviewing anyone in a hot tub ever again. again. He's the he's the only author who's going to get oh, that. Um, but brilliant. yeah, I I will miss him um, because you know we would message occasionally, and uh, he was a force of good. And I always think the best way to remember 
any authors to read their books. And my favourite I've got here is a wonderful book called The the foreshadowing, which is sort of based on the Cassandra myth. It's about a girl who um, can see the future and her brothers are going to war, the First World War, and you can imagine how that turns oh, out. Wow. It's a proper thriller. He also did a fantastic book called Revolver, which is about a boy who has a uh, has a choice to use a gun or die. And it's just, ter- I mean, all of his books are fantastic. He wrote for very young, wrote for adults and everyone in between. So he leaves behind a, an ama- amazing legacy, but gone way 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 too soon and i just mm. you know um so uh, my condolences to marcus's family and everyone who knew him was lucky enough to know him and work with him um you know it's uh it was it was a it came up on the bookseller newsletter and i actually genuinely gasped and put a hand to my you know mouth i was, i totally out the blue so um it's so a yeah. fairly well marcus fairly well yeah and and his writing lives on, and that's what we've yeah. always said on the podcast, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. get writing, folks, because uh, you know Marcus, despite his young age, he created a huge body of work which Amazing. people are going to be able to enjoy forever. And I think that is one of the you know the, the best legacies that, that Marcus left as a writer. But yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, our heart goes out to his family. Oh wow, very 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 difficult days indeed, but. Um, yeah. Let's 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 turn and celebrate celebrate writing because that's what Marcus would want. He'd want us to get on with this and celebrate <laughs> all would. the beauties, the challenges, the things he all he will have experienced. You know all of the things that we've mm. talked about on the podcast. And today's interview is no exception. Talk about a roller coaster ride. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us, Mark, about our our interview today with Harriet Tice. Harriet Tice uh, was born and grew up in Edinburgh, and she got a degree in English Lit before working as a criminal barrister for nearly a decade. Uh, She completed an MA in creative writing, and she's written three novels to date, including the Sunday Times bestsellers Blood Orange and The Lies You Told. And her third novel, It Ends at Midnight, was published in April of this year, 2022, to huge critical acclaim. And we discuss why she abandoned her second novel, the moment she figured out what her USP was and why she writes about things that make her cross. And just to warn listeners, couple of f bombs in this one, so cover the cover the children's ears. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a really good fun interview. Brilliant. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the lovely Harriet Tice. Harriet Tice, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I think the last time we spoke, it was snowing and we've had the summer in between and now it's sort of wet and damp again. So anyway, but your new book, it ends at midnight. Well, it might end at midnight, but it starts in Edinburgh in a very grisly fashion. Um, tell us about tell us about it ends at midnight. Um, well, it starts with a body or bodies impaled on railings, bleeding out onto the pavement. Um, and the first discoverer of this is a fox um, who walks along because the fox is hungry um, mm. and smells the meat and smells the blood and goes to um, see if it can get some food. But unfortunately, is then disturbed by all sorts of other people becoming aware of what has happened. Um, and that is really the point where the story finishes, um, because then, unlike as clever as Gillian McAllister's book, which genuinely goes backwards, mine just goes back in time to where it sort of starts and where the rot sets in that has led to this appalling tragedy, um, which is essentially a toxic friendship between two women, um, Sylvie and Tess, 
who first met at school um, when they were in sixth form and had various things happen. That was when they were in Edinburgh and that's when the seeds were sown um, really for the tragedy that ultimately happened. Um, They've stayed friends over the intervening decades, but when Tess is diagnosed with potentially a terminal illness, um, it starts to to set off a whole chain of events um, that leads to the rooftop on New Year's Eve, the fireworks and the death, basically. It's it's such a cricket because I I I dipping into it and the opening with the fox, I, I wasn't expecting that and I loved it and I, and I and it felt almost um supernatural and then you've got a little flash of someone who realizes they're on these railings and it's I mean I love a bit of gore but even I went whoa whoa it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a I great think opening. my favorite my favorite bit later on is because I was I needed to do something to sort of keep the tension up of you know to remind us that that all of this backstory is leading to a point literally as well as um, <laughs> narratively and um and there's a bit later on when it's the fireman because of course if you've got bodies impaled on railings you have to get them off um yeah. and if you're wanting to do a bit of forensic and analysis of it you want to get them off without ruining everything that's happened which means essentially cutting through the iron with an oxyacetylene lamp um and i just suddenly got this image in my head or rather this smell in my head of what if it did smell like bacon and people wanted (laughs) it anyway now i've just gone horribly off i think i need to stop it this is this is my first this is my first really talking to anyone about work since the beginning of the summer so (laughs) i think we, we talked about this before that you said you might be rusty i'm completely all over the shop so just be warned, be warned. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about location because it's it's like I said, it starts in Edinburgh, and I, as I believe, uh, you grew up in Edim- Edinburgh. Yes, that's now, right. Edinburgh is a much written about. I mean, folks, if you've ever been to Edinburgh, uh, it's such a beautiful city. Little alleyways, stairways where where crime. You know, it's n- there's no surprise that a lot of crime novels are set there. Was there any trepidation about setting a novel in Edinburgh, thinking, okay, am I treading on in Rankin's shoes? Has someone been here before? Or do you get inspired by the city? Um, I, it's my hometown. I don't mm-hmm. have the accent, but I grew up there. I was there from, you know, I was born there. I was educated there. I lived there full time since I was 18. Mm-hmm. Then throughout university holidays, my parents still live there. I have friends still there. It's, it's mine as much as it's anyone else's. Um, I think that I would have huge trepidation about setting, shall we say, a a, a police procedural based Mm -hmm. in Edinburgh with, you know, with Janet, (laughs) me, but, you know, I think that that would be, um, that would be ridiculous. But um, I was very specifically talking about my lived experience then obviously spun into something much darker um a lot of the underage drinking and the going up to the tron and snogging people at midnight is very much you know my sort of own teenage experience and so I think on that basis it didn't feel as if it was at all intrusive because you know cities have multiplicities and you know if you think about how many books are set in London um nobody I think has ownership though of course people do have ownership over aspects um which I couldn't begin to speak to you know I don't live there now um I wouldn't ever presume to get into a discussion about the 
current political situation or you know sort of many aspects of the of the the social you know it's it's I think that because I was talking about when I was there 1989 1990 um and also the I mean the house in which the party takes place I've I think it's actually in real life the American consulate but I'm trying not to think about that I've turned it into one of those very upmarket Airbnb um you know you can book these houses which end up being party houses and actually that is a real problem in Edinburgh in fact I think Anne Rankin was talking about this yesterday um that the heart of Edinburgh has been eviscerated by Mm. Airbnb rentals all the tenements have now been given over to these you know two-day lets there's no community it's 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 been absolutely appalling um, to everything that makes it a city. So, you know, from that point of view, I think that there was an aspect of relevance. And I feel that I'm I'm comfortable with what I've done. Um, but I don't think I would have wanted to go very much further um, unless I move home, you know, and if I move home, it'll be a different a different thing. But um, no one else can write about my years at other than me so you know what I mean brilliant brilliant answer thank you Um, now you studied studied law and you studied English lit and I believe your father was a judge your mother was an academic is that is is that like (laughs) is that the two halves of Harriet fighting each other because you were you know you were a criminal barrister for for 10 years uh, and now you're a best-selling author Uh, was there any kind of tussle between those two careers I think now finally everything has fallen into place in in how it ought to be um i mean my first degree was english and at the end of that i really didn't quite know what to do with it which is why i ended up going and doing law conversion um and becoming a barrister um because i mean i'd heard stories all through my growing up of you know the war stories of my father in court and it just seemed be a very exciting and interesting job um I mean the reality is bits of it are and bits of it very much aren't and Mm. I don't think on a personality basis it was I I wasn't I was good at it but I wasn't happy and that wasn't a very good combination um and then you know I stopped not because of I'd stopped because I had kids and I didn't want to work I couldn't work part-time and have a successful career and I didn't want to work full-time because I wanted to be with the kids more than not um and then that led to a number of years where I was sort of kicking around thinking I know where the pants are I'm good at a supermarket shop but is that really all I'm qualified to do it just seems a little bit of a waste of an education um so starting writing was definitely when things started to come together but you know for the beginning years I was writing a whole load of dystopia about you know sort of feminist dystopia speculative fiction about drowned worlds which I'm sure there's a place for that now but it wasn't very much fun to write um and it was only when I then thought hang on I've had 10 years of legal experience being a barrister why the fuck am I not actually sorry I don't am I allowed to swear would you prefer I didn't you're allowed one and that's it (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I apologize to everybody listening i will no i harriet, I, I harriet said it's we've had we've had sarah pimbra we've had sarah pimbra oh. on the podcast so you know <laughs> <laughs> well i've dropped my f-bomb and i've had my warning so i'm not going to do that again um but no i did think why on earth am i not using all of this experience this is actually it's completely ridiculous that i'm not people are interested in barristers people are interested in that world I mean that I think mm. was it was when I read Apple Tree Yard 
and I thought, hang on, oh yeah, legal thrillers. And then I saw Louise Doughty had thanked the barrister in her acknowledgement um, because she'd spent the month, I think, at the Old Bailey watching a trial as research. Right. And I thought, well, I mean, it's not like I'd ever spent any time in the Old Bailey. You know, I had a very kind of low rent practice, but it doesn't matter. It's still yeah. something that has aspects of interest. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, why not? Why not try and use this? And then I also, did you watch This Life? Did you, do you remember watching This Life back in the uh, mid-90s? I remember it. I didn't watch it all, but I, I do remember it, yeah. yeah. Well, that was, I mean, because that was, a, I loved it, because that was about people starting out as solicitors and barristers yeah. in a yeah. very hard living, shagging everyone, taking drugs, lots of smoke. I mean, you know, it, was, it was absolutely brilliant. And, and I thought, well, hang on, that was interesting. Mm. People did want to watch that. You know, I've got this. And I should use it. And that was when I felt that all of the sides came together. Um, and, you know, now I think I've sort of been trying to work out what my, I don't know, what my USP is, what the thing is that I do that other people without my experience, you know. And I think that it's not even just sort of doing legal thrillers and writing about trials. It's the fact that I do have that legal training and experience. I do understand points of criminal law, criminal justice, and I can bring them into stories I hope in a way that is you know underneath perhaps a little bit educational but of course mm. the main thing being that there's an interesting story with tension and lots of gore and it you know it's it, it's great to be able to use all of that training and experience in something that you know I actually really love doing and yeah I feel very lucky actually to get it all to, to it's, it's like it's come full circle and it's yeah. kind of perfect no, I love it. That's brilliant. Now, let's talk about your your debut, uh, Blood Orange, which uh, in 2019 was a Richard and Judy choice, big bestseller. How did that come about? You know, you you were saying you didn't want to be the person who just knew where the pants were. You wanted more in life. <laughs> you've obviously, you know, you've discovered you, your voice, your USP, the thing that you can bring to story that no one else can. So, how did Blood Orange come out of that? Well, I was doing an evening course. Um, and as a provider that I won't name, um, and we went around the table all saying what our ideas were, and I said, "Well, it's this, it's this criminal barrister whose life's a bit of a mess, and there's stuff." And the teacher made a face, and I went, "Oh, okay, I won't do that then." So that was when I came up with a particularly mental kind of drowned world cannibalism, killing of the firstborn, feminist dystopia, <laughs> which I stopped at eighteen thousand words because it was just so horrific um and I was really feeling at rock bottom this is what am I going to do um and then I saw an advertisement for the UEA um University of East Anglia MA that they had just started one that specialized in crime fiction alone you know so there was none of the having to write short stories or having to faff around pretending that you're interested in wordplay <laughs> you know or, or being poncy about <laughs> oh, I couldn't write a commercial novel. I don't write genre, none of that. You know, it was like, <laughs> I knew I wanted to write psychological thrillers. I was really clear that's what everything I wrote turned into a psychological thriller, whether I intended it to or not. Um, and I thought, actually, someone that's finally taking this seriously, um, I'm going to go because it's going to be an immersion. I'll be with people who also 
aren't snobby about crime, who actually see crime for the brilliant joy that it is. And so I turned up there and I said, well, I've got this idea about a criminal barrister whose life's mess. And they were like, oh, that sounds brilliant. <laughs> and I thought, ah, oh, now I have found my people. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so I wrote it. You know, I wrote it during, you know, we did a lot of reading. We did quite a lot of literary criticism. I mean, it was an intensive academic course mm. as well as, creative writing um and I wrote it during the course of the course and I had feedback from you know from tutors and from the 10 other people around the table each week um and it well not each week however many yeah anyway the feedback for the sessions and it was it just it was brilliant it was so good it was such a great experience and that and writing the book felt like such a joy I mean of course there were sticky bits I think there was a point when I changed the first 30,000 word from I think past tense to present tense which is not you know I'm sure you must have done that sort of rewrite and it's a killer you know it's horrible 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 um but you know at the same time though it just kept progressing and it was like oh yes and how about this and how about that and then you know halfway through we got to send an application in to David Hyam agency for a scholarship um which I did not win and I was yeah, I was really disappointed because I'd hoped that that would be my kind of my yeah. my redemption arc. But actually, it got better than that because three weeks later, I was emailed by my now agent, who is at David Home, who read it, really liked it, and would I be interested in having a chat maybe sometime? I'm like, yeah, well, now I'm at the <laughs> straight, I'm at your door. You know? And it sort of, and so we went in and we had a chat. And that was sort of halfway through the course. And halfway through the course, I had an agent. It was extraordinary. I didn't have to do any of the... But it was so funny because she sort of said, and I said, do you mean I've got an agent? And she looked at me and said, you know, there are other agents out there. And I thought, well, no, you don't look gift horses in the mouth. This mm-hmm. is really, you know, not when it's... When you know someone's good. Yeah. It, 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 and they, they believe in it when she'd only read 10,000 words. You know, I, that would have been insane to start being... I don't know. It, I, it wouldn't have worked for me, and it was it was absolutely perfect decision. And then she sent it out on submission. I finished it, and she sent it out on submission at the beginning of May the following year. That was in 2017. And I remember the final meeting before it went out, and I said, "Look through," and I said, "Would well, you think anyone's going to want to read it?" And she just said, "Yes, it's fine." Because um, I'd got terribly, I just thought, well, who, you know, who's going to care? Why, why, yeah. why would anyone, you know, because you do, you just think it's been great and all these people like it, but that's sort of 15 people, you know, my mum might say it's good, maybe, you know, that's the sort of thing. Um, and then it sort of took on this weird life of its own, really, you know, it just sort of, things just happened, which I know isn't very, that's not very helpful if anybody wants a manual on how to do it. I have no idea. I was really lucky. Um, I think just because it's one of those things, isn't it, with timing, that it was, you know, I, my agent was looking for something to fill that kind of slot. She sent it out at the time that editors were interested in that sort of book. I mean, I think if we were to try and submit it now, it probably wouldn't get any traction just because Mm. there's been so many, you know, it's all of the things, everything aligned at that at that particular moment um, and has continued to align because the Richard and Judy came out of the blue. I 
didn't even know you know they hadn't told me they were putting it up for it which is very good because I didn't you don't need to know yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing yeah. um and my editor called me well she emailed me and she said I need to have a chat and I thought oh I'm so late on book two. Oh my God, I'm in so much trouble. And um, and so she called me in the first 15 minutes I spent apologizing for the fact that I hadn't finished book two and it was all a complete mess. And eventually she was like, Harriet, stop, stop. <laughs> I've got news. I have something I need to tell you. And it's like, oh, oh, oh gosh, right. That, oh. Um, and then, you know, that led to, she called it the halo effect that supermarkets were then, you know, because without that, supermarkets might well not have, yeah. you know, it's, it's again, yeah. and then, and I hate to say that lockdown was good to me, but lockdown kind of was good to me in the sense mm. that it had this visibility in March, February, March, April 2020 because of Rich and Judy and because it had been, I mean, it had been a bestseller in December and then it was a Kindle deal for April and that's the point at which and I don't really know what happened but it just kind of went a little bit crazy um you know and and just sort of watching it like still there I mean and people still reading it you know I still sort of (laughs) see you know I think someone actually someone sort of posted to me something about on Twitter and I'm looking at it going it's way too late to give me feedback now it's really <laughs> there's no point it's not that I don't appreciate your comments but there's no point I can't do anything about this it's so done it's so mm. completely um so yeah it was it was it was kind of the dream, I guess, if I had ever, I mean, but it's not a dream I'd ever have dared to have because, you yeah. know, at the beginning, you just want to be published, don't you? Well, actually, no, let's scratch that. At the beginning, you just want an agent. That's mm. all you want is an agent because the agent is the bit that makes you feel that you're not totally wasting your time. And yeah, I mean, beyond that, oh, just, Fan- just weird. Fantastic. It's, it's such a terrific story, but this is where I put my. DJ voice on and say, but while you were living the dream, you also had a nightmare. Let's talk about that second novel. Let's talk about that second novel because that's... Oh, my goodness me. Oh, so, yes, that second novel, which will never see the light of day. Right. Um, So it's got an amazing title. It's called The Rose Garden, and I love that title, and I would love to use it for something. I think there has been a book last year which was called the rose garden but it wasn't in my genre so i'm going to choose to ignore it for the right, future. Yes. <laughs> um, but that just went i don't know it all went i was in this weird situation where i had applied to do i was meant to be doing a phd at uea um which was going to be well that was my backup plan right. because i thought well i'm not going to get an agent or i might get an agent but even if i get an agent i won't get published so i need a backup because i had really enjoyed being back in academic life so i thought i'll do a critical creative phd and then so i write a novel and i talk about writing the novel and i do some literary criticism around all of that um and so it all seemed absolutely perfect but it uh, and then I thought I could still do it after I got the deal. You know, I did yeah. think I could still do the PhD, but it was just starting to get more and more edgy that, you know, supervisor and editor were kind of, you know, as it were, eyeing each other across the divide going, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. <laughs> um, and trying to sort of please everybody with a synopsis was, was that was, so I think it was a messy set of beginnings. Right, right, um, right. 
so I scrapped the PhD, which was definitely the right decision, but that was quite difficult. And then I came up with this idea, which I don't think I even stuck to, that it just all went completely mad. It was a really claustrophobic book. I was trying to outdo myself in terms of really dark sex, in terms of really dark, toxic relationships. Everybody was, you know, people say they don't like my characters. I mean, dear God, they would have hated these people. There was not even the baby was horrible. And the baby ended up and the baby ended up in a ditch almost dead. You know, you're not meant to kill babies. It's just and then and then I had this exchange with my American publisher, who was my then American publisher, um, who said, Right, we need a title, we need a title. And so I'm like the Rose Garden. And they came back to me and said, We don't like that. We want you to call it the body in the Rose Garden. And I said, But there isn't a body in the rose garden and it's not that kind of book because to me that says you know that that's the sort of closed that's a locked room it's quite a specific sort yeah, of Agatha yeah. Christie-esque um but no they insisted it had to be the body in the rose garden so by the end I had a pile up of five bodies in this garden <laughs> it was just it just went and the baby in the ditch and some weird there was some weird there was some very weird stuff and um and I finished it and I sent it to my agent saying I think I've lost my mind and she wrote back and she was like "Mm, I think we need to talk Harriet and she was very kind she came up with some positives the batch that was lush dense prose and it was never boring but also fucking horrible 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 um and and so I sort of sat on it for about two weeks and then I wrote to her and said, I don't, I can't see a way to fix this. And she said, no, neither can I. Um, and that was a bit. And I kept working in tears about it. And then a friend of mine did say, she said, my friend Sandra said, Harriet, this is just a job at the end of the day. I know it's mm. a weird job, but it is just a job and it shouldn't be making you cry. You need yeah. to just ditch this book. Um, and so I did, which the unfortunate thing was they did say, well, we'd still like to read it. And I was like, yeah, I don't think this is a good idea because I think yeah. you're going to judge me very heavily as a result of it. Um, but I said, okay, and I'm going to give you a new idea by the time you're back. Because this was just before Christmas. So I said, well, you can read it because I thought it would make me look weird and not to let them. Um, I said, you can read it, but I'm going to give you a new, better, much stronger idea by yeah. the 7th of January. And I did, which is what turned into lies, which lies, I think, will always be my very difficult second novel in my yeah. head and I'm not massively attached to it and I, I don't know if I'm meant to say that about books but <laughs> it's not my favorite um it will never be my favorite because it represents quite a difficult time but at least it was better than the rose garden because I think the rose garden would have killed my career completely right wow oh, it's that bad I think you are I think uh, I think you are allowed to say that about book because the thing is, you will know the pain and the agony that you went through to to get to that point. Whereas the reader knows nothing about that. The reader can enjoy it for its own, you know, just for the words on the page and the story. But yeah, there sometimes when you create something, all you can think of are the hard times and the the late nights and the the, the weeping and the crawling into a corner and banging your head against the wall, all that stuff, which the re- reader never gets to enjoy. So I think I think that's um. That's perfectly fine. That's incredible. Was there a, I mean, you mentioned there this idea that it could have killed your career. Was there a point where you were thinking, oh no, I've, I've stuffed it. 
I've, I've, you know, I've, oh God, this is it, game over. Were, were you kind of thinking, this is it, This I've had my shot and that's it? And how did you get uh, through that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, that it, I mean, obviously this is the tiniest violin in the world problem to have, <laughs> but if you do have, if you do have something that sort of runs away with itself in the way that Blood Orange did, um, there is always this feeling, for me at least, and I'm sure that other people would say this too if they've had one of those, particularly with babies, that, you know, that's it, a peak, it's all over now. Um, which actually, you know, in some in some respects, it could be true that that, because it was such an anomaly that it went like that, that things have to then sort of get to a point of level. And level, yes. you know, I think level is not going to be bad. It just, things can't keep on at that peak. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, only for a very few people. And even they, it's not sustainable. I think nobody bangs out amazing hit after amazing hit unless it's like ABBA or something. Um, so there was, actually, I have to say, through that year of writing Rose Garden, I did just think this is they're going to dump me. They are absolutely going to dump me when they see this. They are going to just say, "What on earth have we done?" It's been a one. It's been a flash in the pan. It's been absolutely appalling. Um, and I was just thinking, I can't. Can I do this again? I don't think I can do this again. Um, and that was that was really difficult to overcome. And I have to say, actually, one of the big things I did for signing up for Sophie Hannah's Dream Author um, thing, the coaching about you know, which is basically about trying to change your mindset rather than doing. You know, it's not necessarily doing things differently. It's just realizing that, you know, if, for me, I was constantly thinking it's peak, so the next thing is going to be a disaster. And she's very much not about letting you think like that because it means you can't enjoy the success. And also, you're just allowing yourself to be driven by a lot of very negative fear, which of course comes onto the page and 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 can kind of freeze you. Um, and I think in a way that that is the sort of the whole difficult second novel, difficult second anything syndrome. But I think having broken through that, even if Lies is never going to be my favourite book, I am very proud of it because it's definitely good enough. You know, it it, it, it did cut it. It did get some nice reviews. It did sell nowhere near as many as blood orange but it sold if if that had been the peak of my sales i would be extremely pleased with how it did um and it's got some bits i think are really funny in it you know it's not just the tension, but um and i think having got through that i did find writing midnight to be a much more joyous even though it's very dark and it you know it was written through lockdown and my best friend was dying and there was it was you know it was hard in its whole sort of um in its whole kind of context but I actually found for the first time since writing Blood Orange that going back to the computer and going back to the words on the page was actually an escape rather than um you know the way that it ought to be which is a joy because no one's making us do this you know, no one's sort of putting our gun to our head saying, you know what the world needs? Another book. That's, you know, <laughs> just not, that's not the case. You know, we, we put our, we put ourselves through this. You know, we step up and volunteer for it. Um, and we may as well enjoy it while we're doing it because, you know, if we stop doing it, I don't think 
we've necessarily been missed a great deal you know I mean just because there's so many books there's so many words there's so much it's yeah Wow, that's there's a lot to unpack there. I I think, <laughs> I think well, no, no, this this is terrific because we don't hear this very often, and I saw it a lot when I worked in publishing, which is you get the author who has the smash hit debut, and selling book selling book two. Just for, I worked in sales, you got marketing selling a debut. It's kind of easy because it's new voice, new ideas, blah blah blah. There we go, whoosh, and the new author. No one sits the author down and say, says to them, it's not going to be like this next time. You do know I, that, don't actually, you? Actually, you know? I, I will say props to Georgina Moore, who was my publicist for Blood Orange. Georgina. She did in the Brilliant. nicest of possible ways because, again, it was another massive stroke of luck for me. Blood Orange had been selected as a super lead for Headline, which meant that they were putting the farm behind it. And I yeah. had Georgina Moore. I mean, you know. She's a legend. Um, I, used to, I used to work with her at Headline and um, you, hoping to get her on the podcast soon because she's written a book oh, herself. Yeah. She has, and it's very yeah. good. I really Excellent. enjoyed it. Um, but um, she, she said very gently and very nicely that I needed effectively to calibrate my expectations that right. this, was, this was a debut thing. Um, Precisely what you just said, that the attention for a debut is something that is is easier to achieve. Um, And that, you know, not to be, I suppose, disappointed or to feel that it's because I think it's also, it's not even a question of disappointment because of a feeling of entitlement. I should be getting that. It's more, oh God, I've done something wrong. I'm not being given the thing. You know, it's a mark of failure on my part as opposed to this is just the way that it, this is, this is the way that it goes. And, I think that it's one thing to know something, though, rationally, and it's another thing to feel it and to yeah. understand it emotionally. And it, you know, it's a difficult, it's a difficult transition from being the shiny new debut, mm. being, you know, sort of three down, writing on writing the fourth. But I can tell you something, and this isn't meant to put off any debuts out there, but I, I feel very grateful to be out of that particular. Yeah better circumstances and to be because it's beginning to understand now I think that it is a long game you know what I want Mm. behind me is a body of work not just one it's amazing to have had one super hit and you know and let's be real it's not like it was a gone girl or a you know or a silent patient or a secret history I mean it did very very well here which is amazing but I do have lots of and actually I think that's also a nice position to be in because I have lots of goals you know, lots of ambition that may never be ticked off, but it's good to have things that you still want and that you still, rather than having got everything, and then you just sat on the top of the hill and everyone's taking pot shots at you. Yeah. And the only way literally is down. Um, you know, I think it's uh, it's it, it's good still to have, yeah, to, to, to have a bucket list of, of all the spreadsheets. I'm obsessed with one day having spreadsheets. That's what I want. Um <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for, for listeners that's sprayed edges uh yeah. on on the side of the book and i gotta say harry i've been i've been talking to friends in publishing uh they're very expensive to do and uh i got a feeling there's going to be fewer books with sprayed edges in the future so you've really got that's a real goal so fight well, for it harry fight for it then i think that that's a proper that's a proper goal to have yeah. something that is almost impossible yeah um <laughs> That's, yeah, no, I know I'd read that and I just thought, oh, don't tell me it's peace. That's really interesting. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, look, what's, um, what's c- 
coming. I, I read a lovely quote from you that said, "Most of my books are driven by feeling cross about something." So, what's got you cross <laughs> for the next book, Harriet? What can we expect from you next? Um, well, so the next book is actually um, <laughs> my working title is "Blood Orange is the New Black" um, because it opens in uh, women's prison. Um, and the thing that's got me cross this time, Mark, um, <laughs> is. Actually, the more that I have been researching prisons, incarceration, I mean, the more that one looks at the criminal justice system oh, as a yeah. whole, and in you know, with with barrister strike, with the decriminalisation of rape, effectively, all of that, all of that, all of that. Um, I think that I've moved from the personal crossness um, to widening, and that's also, I think, what's really exciting about that. It's I've sort of worked through, you know, that people normally. The first novel's normally a lot more autobiographical. Yeah. Um, I think that there'd be, and there are always going to be aspects of yourself that come through into the pages, whatever book it is. But I do feel that this one has got a slightly wider remit um, and it has got things. So I'm I'm cross about women in prison. I'm cross about um, the Hangham Flogham Brigade. Mm-hmm. I'm cross about the, the very punitive attitude towards justice that mm-hmm. I fear that it's only going to get worse at the moment. I don't see it getting better. Um, and so that's that, that sort of grist my mill at the moment, which is, I find actually really, I like that. I find that very exciting, the idea that there is a, I mean, God, if I say there's a message underneath it, it'll never sell anything. But, you know, there is a very, very small, I can promise lots of tension um, and all of the good stuff. But there is, I hope, a small bit of, of maybe we could do things differently yeah. that's also sort of seeping in underneath, um, which, yeah, it's really, I've been, I'm almost looking at doing an MA in criminology. I found myself so interested in the whole thing, but I'm not sure I've got time. Um, or information <laughs> quite hard work I think there's enough um, but yes yeah, so that Blood Orange is a New Black that is not what it's going to be called Jack won't let me my editor doesn't think <laughs> that but it's a shame <laughs> it sounds absolutely brilliant whatever it ends up being called <laughs> Harriet thank you so much for speaking to me today and hope to speak to you again really soon not still thank you very much for having me Wow, talk about a roller coaster of a career today. It's <laughs> still rocking and rolling. It's amazing, isn't it? It's great. Um, one of the things that really jumped out for me was, and you hear this in business, the business world a lot, this term USP, which yes. some people think, well, is that the, uh, the people that deliver parcels to your door? But it, it's, <laughs> for people that aren't aware of that, USP stands for you, you know your um, unique selling point. It's very much mm. a kind of a salesy term, but it's actually a really great term for writers to think about. Um, because let's be honest, you're out there competing with the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other books and authors. And to actually try and work out what your own USP is, what makes you unique, because we're all unique in, in every, I mean, just by writing what we write, it's unique, but understanding that is really important, isn't it? Absolutely. And we talk about this on, in, on the Academy all the time. I'll, I will have people say, like Harriet, I've come up with an idea about, you know, uh, this character that does this, this and this, but I don't feel that it's original. I feel like it's been done before. Uh, but what's what's never been done before is your voice, your writing voice. You know, not everyone can be a lawyer like Harriet and bring all that to the table, but there is something about you that no one else has. Uh, so, yeah, well, I've, we've been talking, I mean, we've got a couple of uh, folk on the Academy writing fantasy novels and they're like, how do we avoid all the tropes. And I'm like, lean into the tropes, do the tropes, because 
only you can do these tropes the way that you do these tropes because of your voice. And it's one of the most important things that you need to develop. And it took me ages to figure this out decades to figure this out <laughs> so you know i'm letting you letting you know this now because this this is such an important lesson to learn is you know i grew up reading douglas adams and terry pratchett and wanting to be like both of them and i'm i'm not because weirdly enough i'm not douglas adams or terry pratchett i'm someone called mark stay so i write like me and it took me such a long time to figure that out so mm. um you and it's it's difficult because when you're writing as yourself in your voice you're thinking no one's going to want to read this. This is just silly old me. This is just, you know, me putting words on a page and I'm not as clever as these other people and I'm not as, you know. But if it's if it's truthful, it makes such a difference to the quality of your writing. And it's mm. uh, being truthful can be hard sometimes and it takes a long time to master that and get that right. But if you work on that above everything else, uh, you'll find your voice. And this is what, Agents and publishers and producers and directors and film people and TV people, you'll hear them say this again and again and again. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? We're looking for a voice. That's what they want. Mm. So work on your voice more than anything else. Yeah, That's your USP. I, I think the challenge with that as well is that you hear your own voice internally. Like what you hear is not what your listener feels when they read your story. And so it's very hard, it's very hard to, um, to distinguish for yourself. Like, have I found my voice? Have I, is this my voice? But yeah. my voice is boring because I live with it all the time. <laughs> it's like there's all, all these challenges. And yeah. I think there's this degree of allowing, just allowing and, uh, the process to happen and, and believing that as the more and more you write, the more you discover your voice. I mean, Joanne Harris talked about, her th- it was the third, uh, third book, wasn't it, she told us? Yeah. It was when yeah. she discovered her voice. Sometimes it, it doesn't usually come straight away. It's not like you're kind of like, right, I want to write a book. Oh, and here's my voice. Right, great, let's rock and roll. It, it's something which which happens over time and it's you have to allow that process and your voice evolves as well as a writer but for me the key thing is i mean we talk about our favorite authors we often talk about our favorite authors more so than our favorite books and i think Mm. the reason being is that when you find an author you love Yes, you love their storytelling. Yes, you love how they write. You you love the character. But ultimately, what you're subscribing to is their voice. Yeah. Because there's a there's a million there's a million crime writer books out. There's, there's for every like I always think from personal development. Like there's there's a ton of books on how to live your dreams and how to do this. But what I found happened with me personally, and I'm sure people can relate to this, is that you find that that one author who just speaks to you, and mm. you're like, oh, and you connect with them. That's their voice. And so you buy every single book that they write. You don't even care what the title is. Like, I love their stuff. And so that, I think, is what you get as an author. Once you find your voice, you're authentic. You then find readers who connect with your voice and then just want to read every single thing you do. And that is even more important, I think, than writing series. Or I mean, it's just it's just you and uniquely you. Shannon May is a great example, a great core fan base, because they love her voice. They just love the way she writes. So. I mean, we're, we're coming up to Christmas now and we'll be saying to people, what do you want for Christmas? And a lot of people will know we'll want books. And they won't say, can you get me this new book here? They'll say, get me the new Stephen King. Get me the new Lee Child. Get me the yeah, new or, Harriet or Tice. people just know, people just know that they're Stephen King fans. So they get them the new Stephen yeah. King, right? Yeah, because I just, I just want that, I just want that fix again. I want that voice, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Coming, coming across on the page. So yeah, you're yeah. right. It's, uh, it's really important. 
And then flipping it over, the next the next thing Harriet was talking about, which is interesting, was this idea of as an author finding your tribe, like finding your fans or allowing your fans to find you is very important. But as an author, it's about finding your tribe. And she gave that really interesting example, didn't she, where... She's doing a night course, yeah. And yeah, she, 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 I, she pitches the legal thriller and the night course teacher made a face. And uh, yeah, I've I've been there. I've, you know, that, that was the thing that sort of always put me off joining writers groups was they might be, you know, they might be too literally, they might be too hoity-toity or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. The, I was always a genre person. So um, yeah, it can, it can maybe take a while to find your tribe, find the right people. Uh, I mean, it's one of the things I love about the the the, the Academy and the BXP group on Facebook is none of us are uh, snotty like that. You know, we just celebrate writing in all its forms. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think when when you get some of those those courses, there there's an emphasis more perhaps, perhaps on style, you know, and prose and, you know, getting that kind of stuff right. Whereas, I think if you want to make a, you know, if you want a bestseller, this being the bestseller experiment, it's about finding voice, but it's also applying that voice in, to a genre and making it thrilling and page turning and, you know, keeping the reader on the hook, uh, which Harriet does with aplomb. Uh, you know, you can see from her sales it's uh, and the reviews that she gets, it's um, it's incredible. So, uh, yeah, uh, I've... I know that face that the teacher made. I've seen that face. <laughs> but you know what? You, 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 we all know these stories of, you hear these stories of when people went to school as a child and the teacher said to them, you'll never be a writer or yeah, you'll never yeah, be yeah. a sports person. You'll never be a mathematician or a scientist or you'll never be any, you'll never be anything any good. You always hear those stories when somebody then turns their life around and they prove that mm. teacher wrong. But it, but for me, finding a tribe is about finding the people that lift you up, mm. finding the people who don't like, you know, make a face, but actually in, in the example that Harriet gave said, yeah, this is brilliant because they're all into what you're doing. It's like your tribe needs to consist of people that are positive, people that lift you up, people that understand the struggles of what it is to be a writer but they're also into the same kind of things that you do. So you can all yeah. geek out together and celebrate the weirdness or the, 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 you know, whatever it might be, because when you find those people, you all, you all bring each other up and that's um, where success happens. Yeah, I'm getting flashbacks now. I did have that. No, I did have a teacher at um, secondary school who was very good, but I remember once she did, I'd written a short story about, helicopter gunships breaking someone out of jail right and it was it was just like rambo meets the a-team or whatever but it was very genre and i remember looking at me sort of rolling her eyes going she said you you said you are talented mark said but why do you keep writing this american rubbish because i like it you know so so that did that did sort of put me off a bit um but you know she just wanted me to be a better writer but oh. weirdly, it was it was finding mates like our mutual friend Jeremy Mason, a couple mm-hmm. of other mates. We would write sketches after school, and yeah. we had such a lot. And that fired up. And we would put the sketches on for a different teacher, a drama teacher, who would see us being juvenile and silly, and she sort of she'd roll her eyes. <laughs> it's like, why don't you put on proper plays? Um, so you know, you do get these you know people who want the best from you, but. You know, you just want to have a laugh, and yeah. well, that is part of you, it. Where would Monty Python be today if 
if they had, I mean, exactly. seriously, like, yeah. I mean, th- yeah. if they hadn't, if they hadn't been encouraged, you know, and, and, and got good feedback, they would have disbanded and, and the world would have not had John Cleese, Michael Palin and the, all those great. Well, great I mean, they, they were told, they were told again and again, we don't understand it. It's not funny. We don't yeah. get it. So you are yeah. going to have people all through, you know, you will find your tribe and people elevate you, but also, yeah. you know, the naysayers are all out there. Leave it. I, I got a two star review the other day on Amazon. You know, yeah, from I'm not, I'm not bitter about it. But, you know, <laughs> I, you know, uh, and they and it was it's just not for them. It's just not for them. No, I, okay. I mean, I completely ignored all the other five star reviews that I've yeah, got. I totally. just focused yeah, yeah, yeah. in on this one two star review, <laughs> which I can quote verbatim. Um, so, oh, yeah. right. the first it's one I've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, so you are going to have those. So you just have if you found. This is why finding your voices and discovering who you are is so important. Yeah. And find, you know, it's yeah, and allowing, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's brilliant. I, I think, I think it's it's super important, folks. If you if you are that writer that doesn't, it either either you're in a toxic writing group, get the hell out of there. Yeah, get, it's the same with friends. I was chatting with someone the other day and they were just constantly telling me about this toxic friend. I'm like, why do you still hang out with them? Like, they're not even. How do you use the word toxic? friend like the two don't coexist (laughs) move on life is too short um but it's the same it's like there's toxic writers there's toxic writing communities there's a lot of very bitter writers out there by the way there's people that have been Mm. doing this the people that don't listen to this podcast right that lost their way and they're not inspired (laughs) each other i jest but do you know what i mean it's like there there are in, in every cycle it doesn't matter whether they're writers plumbers you know, there's this toxic plumbers. <laughs> toxic <there's> plumbers. <laughs> toxic plumbers. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just, there's always going to be in every group of people, whatever they are, there's going to be people that lift you up and there's going to be people that pull you down. And your job is to find the people that lift you up and to like let, let go, let, gently let go of the people that pull you down. So if you're in a toxic group, get the hell out of there, start your own group up. Join the academy. Do something yes. where you'll find a positive group of <laughs> people. It. Right? We're a lovely where, bunch. Right, we won't right, make that face. We do not make we that face we ever. No. That doesn't exist, right, in the academy. It's like no. it's just love and sharing and caring and lifting everyone up. And and the results prove it because people are super pumped, super inspired. And Oh, you listen you know, to the social media at the end of this, folks. The, the good news just keeps on coming. So, oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, yeah. so uh, ran over. But I think it's very... I think it's it's time, folks. If you've been, like, if you people around you say, "Why well, get a, get get a normal job? Well, go and get you." <laughs> say, look, say, like, thank you for your opinion, and and I'm moving on. Um, you know, I think it's so important because that's one of the biggest things that holds people back. You know, yeah, if people I are mean, dragging you down about your writing. Talk, you're talking about make it. Talking about toxic relationships. This is just an aside. Um, but I know a lot of authors are quitting Twitter at the moment, and we're recording this. You know. This is released four four days hence, or whatever, five days mm. hence, or whatever. So who knows what's happened with Twitter in those five days? <laughs> but I, I, I'm I'm seeing a lot of uh, people quitting Twitter, and it's like they're walking into the sunlight, blinking and rubbing their eyes, and going, "Oh, the world doesn't have to be haranguing me all the time. Isn't this wonderful?" <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So maybe 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 quit Twitter as well, folks. Anyway, wow, yeah. Or just let the dust settle. That's what I think. Yeah. Who knows? Something great might come out of it. They always talk about what was it the mm. um, 
Phoenix and the Flames. Who knows mm. where that's going to go? But folks, listen, if you want to hear Mark and I rant on more about all this good <laughs> stuff, we've got so much more we want to talk about. If you want to listen to the extended version of the podcast, we're going to talk about the halo effect, mm. something very important in every writer's career, how you know getting a book club uh, feature um, can make all the difference or a Kindle deal. We're going to talk about that difficult second novel, which even if you're writing your first novel, you need to know about. <laughs> it's really mm. important. Secondly, we're going to talk about going too far. Oh, Harriet can't wait talks for about this. this. This is going to be a great one. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, when she just went a little bit too far and, you know, this does happen to many people. Um, I really want to talk about this idea of changing mindsets. It's something from a life coaching perspective. A lot of people are missing. They're always thinking, oh, I need to get a, be a better writer. Um, actually, you also need to become really strong in your mindset as a writer. That is as important as everything. So we'll dive into that. And it was about enjoying the journey of writing the book. Um, and uh, delving into even more things. So if you'd like to listen to Mark and I talk about this over the next 20, 30 minutes, please jump into the extended podcast. And if you'd like to get that, there are two ways to do it. Number one, sign up to become a supporter of this show by going to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and you will get access to many goodies, including the extended podcast, or join the Academy, bestseller ex- Academy, uh, academy.bestsellerexperiment.com, where you'll get the Bestseller Academy app, and you can download all of our f- 400 episodes, all our deep dives, and now all of our extended uh, podcasts as well. So, Mark, we've had, uh, we'd like to cover stories of people and their journeys in the Academy that we've been talking about in the extended podcast, but today we have a wonderful story, don't we? Yes, uh, one of our academies, mem- academy member, uh, Matt Athanasiu, uh, got in touch. He dropped us a line because he's he's qu- querying his novel and the picture book manuscript. And he wrote to us, he said, you two should know the podcast was a huge part of the journey. When I finally decided to write regularly again, I found your podcast. And hearing each author's journey inspired me to remain consistent, even when I had lapses in confidence. So a big hearty thank you to you to your guests and all of the academies I've met along the way. And he's querying a novel called The Superpowers of Love, which uh, is it sounds absolutely wonderful, and we talk about it uh, in uh, in in our interview now. Matt, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? I'm very good indeed. Uh, listen, we're going to talk about your time at the academy, and then talk about your very very good news at the end of this as well. But let's let's talk about before the academy. What were your big writing challenges before you joined the academy? Yeah, for sure. So for a number of years, I'd gotten myself into a mindset that I'd spent too much time writing and that I shouldn't let writing take from other things in life. I basically blamed writing for some personal failings that I had gone through. And I even attempted to quit for a minute. Well, for for honestly longer than a minute. Um, (laughs) For for a while, while I was writing, I basically became the definition of a a starving artist, just Mm. a misguided idea that you had to sacrifice everything to become successful. And really that just led to a lot of stress and self-doubt. It's just too much pressure. Anyway, we're talking. So thankfully, I am pretty incapable of quitting writing. Um, I'd write regardless of anybody reading because it's just in me to do it. I just, I'm constantly thinking of ideas and jotting stuff down. I just, I just love to do it. So when I finally pulled myself together, um, I swung in the polar opposite direction where I focused on a career and I built a career for myself. And that's basically all, all I did. And finally, I decided I need to write again. The desire never went away. I need to figure this out. So once I made that decision, I wanted to solve for three things. One was, how do I take this more seriously by writing every day? Not too seriously like before, but seriously enough, just so that I'm I'm writing more consistently. I wanted to get involved in a community because I'd never had that before. I just tried to do it all myself. 
And then I wanted to learn all the things I didn't know. I didn't know. And I was hoping the Academy could help me figure that out. Well, cool, cool stuff. And how has the Academy helped you as a writer? I mean, did it help expand your knowledge and gain some of that confidence in the community and what you were looking for? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's solved for all three of those things. I think one of the first things in taking it more seriously, since I had paid for it, I was like, I need to invest myself mm-hmm. in this. Like, don't just waste the money. So I took it more seriously and I allowed my, I allowed myself more time to write. I carved out sections of each day to make sure that I was doing it daily and again. Um, and then I met a ton of friendly and intelligent writers, everyone who was super rad and willing to help each other. So it was one of the best community writers communities that I've ever seen or been a part of. And then, uh, I think two of the things that are really helped me with, which, you know, hopefully we'll get to in a little bit was blurb writing and log line writing, to be honest, like those were things that I hadn't thought about a ton. And those are super important. I think next to the, to the manuscript, um, those are probably the most important pieces that you write. It's, it's funny. I'm writing a blurb at the moment, and it's hell on wheels. It doesn't get any yeah. easier. It's still it's, for sure. But yes, we have sort of blurbs and beta blurbs and all of that stuff in the academy. So yeah, I'll, I, yeah, it's it's all there. It's um, it never gets easier. And did you have a favorite part of the academy? Was was a bit that you kept coming back to? The community, like a hundred percent, the community. Everyone's just so supportive, and encouraging, and willing to help each other. I can't think of many places where you could post a paragraph of text and say, what do you think about this? And within a day, within less than 24 hours, you get a handful of people who are like, yeah. I think this, I think this. Um, and it's all super constructive criticism, uh, great feedback. And everybody just geeks out about writing and it feels great. I was thinking the other day with, you know, all the fun that Twitter's going through right now is like, what if the Academy became the next writer's social <laughs> network? Don't, don't give Mr. D ideas. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, you know, it's, it's not bad. Maybe cut that from <laughs> No, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it in. Definitely going to leave it in. Um, and you've had some amazing news. You, you dropped us a line the other day. Uh, tell us, tell us, tell us your news. Yeah. It, I finally wrote after years of, of not writing and trying to get back into it. I finally finished uh, a novel manuscript. I mean, like fully finished, packaged up, wrote my query and my blurb, and I just started sending it to two agents, which was fantastic. It felt like such a mental hurdle to get over, and it feels wonderful. Brilliant, brilliant, uh, folks! The the smile on Matt's face makes it all worth it. It's just fantastic. <laughs> uh, now, if I met you, sent us an email with uh, the the description, not the blurb exactly, uh, but the description you're sending out to agents. So, can I can I take the liberty of reading this out, just in case there's any Please. agents or or anyone out there listening to? It? And it sounds yeah, absolutely, yeah, I would love it. Absolutely fantastic. This is the superpowers of love. So, love superpowers and disaster occur on a chilly October evening after Heather and old fall in love at first sight. They spot one another at the train stop, both commuting from late nights at work again. Their demanding careers leave little room for personal relationships, but he surprises himself by approaching her and blurting heartfelt feelings. She surprises herself by grabbing his hands, preventing him from backing away. At their touch, a shock jolts them, and they collapse in front of the oncoming train. Miraculously, They heal with superhuman speed. Hearts begin pounding, broken bones set and gashes stitch shut. Afterward, the two sit on the blood-soaked ground, unharmed, neither certain how they survived. 
News about them quickly spreads. Many believe the claims are fake. Superpowers cannot be real. But when an overzealous paramedic attempts to make Heather and old cure a sick child, an increasing number wonder, what are they capable of? Could they be saviors? They seek respite from the escalating attention at the community centre she runs, but information about them continues to circulate. One man drives from several cities away to find them desperate to learn if they can heal the love of his life's traumatic injury. If they refuse to help, he will have few reservations against using his own supernatural ability to make them. As interest in them spirals into violence, Heather and Oald struggle to accept their life-changing feelings and abilities, avoidance that leads to a deadly discovery about the source of their powers. The superpowers of love is speculative fiction interwoven with awkward, romantic, horrific and several other shades of love. The story will appeal to fans of V.E. Schwab's Villains Duology and Joe Hill's novel Horns. Matt, I'm sold. Fantastic. Terrific. And congratulations on finishing the novel. And it was it was a joy to get to know you in the Academy. And I think this is just the beginning and uh, hope to speak to you again real soon. Likewise. Thank you so much. So big thanks, Matt. Lovely to speak to you. Now, if you want to know more about Matt's journey, he's written a, a wonderful blog on this called The Time I Failed to Quit Writing. And I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes so you can check that out. It's a really, really good read. And good luck to you, Matt, with The Superpowers of Love. It sounds absolutely amazing. Absolutely brilliant. Matt's been such a massive inspiration in the academy. He's one of those guys always there to to encourage other people to help other people give people encouragement so matt we salute you and yeah. if you would like to if you've been inspired by matt's story of the academy and you're interested in finding out more about it then just pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com because folks we're coming towards the end of the year and january 1st was a good time to start those new year's resolutions maybe next year is the year that you're going to start that book so do come along um you know get on the wait list um, put your application in early now uh, for the new year Thank you very much, Matt, for that incredible story. Thanks, Matt. So, Mr. Stay, what's happening on social media this week? Oh, the winds. The winds, Mr. D. Now, everyone, settle really? down. This, this is going to take a while. We've, we've had quite, quite a time of it recently. So let's start with Karen's story on the Academy. She said, I've just emailed my author's photo to the Scottish Arts Trust. Why has she done that, listeners? Well, uh, she said, my 2,000-word story, Spaceship Head, was one of 20 chosen out of 800 short story competition entries to appear in their 2022 anthology. And the paperback is is out. Uh, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can check that out as well. And this is the second paperback featuring a short story of Karen's published this autumn. Last month, Dahlia Publishing uh, launched the Lester Wright's 2022 anthology, and her shortlisted story, Cuckold, was featured. Uh, so she said, in January 2022, one of my New Year's resolutions was to enter 18 short story competitions. Why 18? It's always been my lucky number. I ended up getting stories listed in four competitions. It was reassuring. Wow. Like so many of us, I suffer big imposter syndrome. And each time I had a short story listing, it helped my confidence a little bit more. She said, it'd be lovely to have a novel published next. But in, in the meantime, I finally feel I can call myself an author because there it is, my name in print, soon in two books with stories that I've written. Karen, that's oh. amazing. Brilliant. Congratulations, Karen. That's absolutely brilliant. And that, that was what we we're talking about, about that building of confidence and the, those major, major wins. That's fantastic. 
Absolutely. And another major, major bit of news as well. So GB Ralph, Gavin Ralph, who's a huge, uh, massive supporter of the podcast, has been with us for a very, very long time, big on our BXP groups. He says, I'm checking in to celebrate a win, the release of my first full-length novel. And look, I've got a paperback of it here. Murder in Milverton Square is the first in my new cosy mystery series set in New Zealand, The Milverton Mysteries. And he says, the the bestseller experiment podcast and members of the BXP team played a big role in getting this book over the line, including beta reading, cover design feedback, and just general inspiration and motivation. So uh, do check this out. If you love a bit of cozy crime, this is absolutely up your street. So check that out. And and also, also uh, on, on the Academy, Denise McGann. Now, we've talked about this, oh. and she was on the podcast recently. Here it is. There it is. Alice Larson. Book. Alice Larson. <gasps> she hit the big green button uh, to publish Alice Larson. Uh, she finished her first draft at the end of April 2021, so it's been a long time coming. And she says her finger shook over the publish button for a long time. Uh, I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it was actually the equivalent of pulling a party popper that I kept in a damp drawer because the result was a notification that it would take 72 hours for Amazon to deem me publishable. Well, look, I can tell you it's out there now it's out there now and I, I i had the pleasure of working on this a bit um and it's one of my favorite books of the year it is absolutely i mean it's a, I, a I joy mean, look to at read. that cover mark look Great at cover, that cover yeah. i mean yeah. it's, this is a moment isn't it this is like this is we we lived we've lived through this particular book through the academy from day one with denise in fact i remember talking with denise on the phone when she was thinking possibly about joining the academy and said oh i don't think i've got time and and here we are down the road and and as you say what a brilliant achievement and what a brilliant book and i just wish denise all the best with the public publication of that and go out and buy it folks if you want to get a good christmas present for people uh alice larson support support independent writers yeah and gb ralph as well you know that we'll put links in the show notes to both of these so you can check them out absolutely something for everyone here uh we had a note from jay caruso uh who's who's uh, again supporter of the podcast uh jay says i was listening to an extended podcast which is worth every penny of the subscription thank you very much jay uh the extended podcast with ag riddle and you got to the part about the doubt train uh jay says i can't recall which mark it was all you brits sound alike well now i'm offended um (laughs) He said, he said that he'd had writers tell them they'd hit a wall at 30,000 words, and that hit me like a ton of bricks because I suffered the same thing. I started my novel in early 2021, knocked out 20,000 words in two months. I thought it was, I was on my way to having a first draft in six. The next 10K were harder than I hit that wall. Here it is now in November 2022, and it was only in the last month that I got past that wall and feel so great to be at it again. Anyway, I wanted to tell you how that impacted me, knowing that I'm not alone when it comes to writing writing a first novel keep up the great work and stuff jay keep going man we've got you back as you've heard in this podcast you are not alone you are not alone Mm. absolutely not um more good you want more good news got more good news at least two more bits so chandra finity now we're talking about deep dives chandra and dev infinity did a fantastic deep dive recently on forensics because they're both forensics uh, pathologists and it's just brilliant but chandra had some amazing news many months in the waiting but Am I Human is now out in the most recent Oxford Flash Fiction Anthology may break your bones. It may be a small step, but a massive one for me on this writing author journey thing. So congrats on getting your flash fiction into May Break Your Bones, Chandra. Brilliant, brilliant news. That's and brilliant, then Chandra. I, I love this one. We got an award winner. We got an award winner, Mr. Woo! D. Osman Hanif, uh, who's in the Academy, 
Osman, fantastic member of the Academy. Osman has won the UBL Literary Award for Best Debut. It's one of only two major literary awards for writers in Pakistan who write in English. Uh, Osman was shortlisted for the other, uh, but didn't win, uh, but uh, won the UBL Literary Award. And there's a, I, there's a link to Instagram where you can see the award. Lovely, shiny thing. Osman, fantastic news absolutely brilliant we are absolutely made up for you huge congrats for that just brilliant. yeah and again no i mean everyone's hard working but osman you deserve that for all the time and effort you've put in absolutely brilliant we're so so delighted for you great uh, and that's that's oh, gosh. that's that's the wins for this week <sighs> I Who knows now, what, i'm exhausted i, need, Who I think knows everyone, everyone needs <laughs> everyone needs a break everyone's a break but listen folks if you're hearing all these incredible wins and you're thinking oh this is great i'm feeling inspired you too you too can do that. Just keep pushing, set your goals, have a strategy, look at next year now, think about what you want to achieve with your goals. What what one, what what types of dreams have you just heard? Publishing a book, winning a short story competition, you know, winning a major literary award. What is it for you? Set your goals on and we're here to support you all the way to the finish line. So brilliant. Wow, what a brilliant episode, Mark. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for all of your incredible energy today. And thank you to everyone as well who's continually letting us know about their successes. Yeah. Um, we are so, so grateful for that. It, it is fuel to our fire. So please keep them coming. And if you'd like to tell us about your wins, then pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the Contact Us button. Uh, send us a message and once you're there click on the newsletter button as well and um, sign up to our weekly newsletter about the podcast so we tell you everything that's coming up everything that we learned from the episodes and mark how can people get hold of us on socials easy peasy lemon squeezy so on facebook we're bestseller experiment twitter if it's still there uh, at bestseller xp <laughs> and instagram is at bestseller xp as well uh so yeah and if you've enjoyed this episode if you've been inspired whatever podcatcher you're listening to you usually get a prompt to give us a rating of some kind so if you give us a lovely rating that makes us more visible helps inspire more writers get more voices out there and make the world a better place absolutely and think of one friend that desperately needs this podcast in their life please tell them this week drop them an email drop them something and say Come on, <laughs> have a listen it'll help you out and whilst you're at it as well if you're thinking of you know starting to warm up 2023 with the writing habit of a lifetime you need to check out the 200 word challenge 200wordchallenge.com getting you writing every day and changing your life as a writer yeah. and then finally folks again um if you're interested in joining the Academy, please check it out. Academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. All right, Mr. State, until next week. I yes. think I'll just to be, be recovered by then, actually. Give it give it seven days. <laughs> Look forward to it. But yeah, absolutely brilliant stuff. Good luck, everyone. Have a great writer week. And it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. goodbye.